As I was thinking, what, do I, what am I going to talk about today? It was kind of a sort of a last-minute thing, and I was just thinking, what do I do every day of my life? And I go to work, and I preach the gospel to almost everyone I see. There's different salesmen come in. That's all I do is just share the word. And uh, So I just put it on my heart. Maybe we'll talk about that this morning. And I was wondering, do you guys know anyone who is not saved? Probably everyone does, right? Okay, so that's a, a yes. You know, a friend, a co-worker, your brother or sister, your mother or father, maybe your spouse isn't saved. Think of the terrible fate they're going to have if they leave this world and die without Christ. And that's always on my heart for people that just they don't know you, they think life is so good, everything's going well, and they don't know that when, when they take the jump into eternity, they're not ready. So in Hebrews 9.27 it says, and it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. That's pretty serious, huh? An eternity separated from God. And that's why we need to learn the Bible here, so the people we love will not perish, right? It's important. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And luckily here, we get taught the word every week, so we shouldn't be lacking knowledge. Does everyone here have three, John 3.16 memorized? If I ask every one of you guys, if you raise your hand, do you have it memorized? It's a good one to know for witnessing, right? Has everyone here been in an In-N-Out burger? That's, that's no-brainer too, right? Everyone's been In-N-Out, right? Okay, well, you know what's written on the bottom of the Coke cups? It says John 3.16 on the bottom. You guys ever notice that? Okay. It's always fun when you're lying in your car and you're placing your order and they usually ask, or I usually ask them, do you know what's written on the bottom of the cups? It says John 3.16 and I ask them, do you know what that means? Some, some do know it and they tell me and the ones I don't know, I usually tell them. I say it's a, it's a Bible verse. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Some of them get nervous because they're not used to talking about the Bible. They get all jittery and nervous. And some actually thank you for sharing it with them. So whenever you're an in and out in that 45-minute line, you got plenty of time to witness to those guys, right? Okay. First Corinthians 3, 7, it says, So then, he who plants is anything, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. As we share the word of God with them, we're either planting seeds or watering them, right? So God can do his job and save souls. We don't save anybody, right? If you think it's, you know, oh, I I didn't do it right, and they're not saved, they're not going to heaven, it's not up to us, right? It's up to God. So our job is just to plant seeds and water them. Have you noticed that when you're sharing the gospel with some people, they usually say, that the Bible was written by men. How can they trust it? That's a good question, and we as believers should be able to tell them. You know, do we believe the Bible's true? Are you sure the Bible's true? It's not just written by men? How can we know it's not written by just men? What makes the Bible different or better than any other book in the world? The Bible's different because it is in, it says, the inspired Word of God. In the Holman Bible Dictionary, it defines it as inspiration of Scripture, the actions of God leading to the writing, preservation, and collection of His words to His people into the Bible. The English word inspiration comes from the Latin word inspiro, which means to breathe in. You've got to remember that, to breathe in. Inspiration, then, is the influence of the Holy Spirit upon individuals for the purpose of producing an authoritative record of persons, teachings, and events. In Jeremiah 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anthanon, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, son of Amon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign, whom the Lord... Whom the word of the Lord came. 
It's not Jeremiah deciding what to write down, what he feels. It's God breathing into him what he wants to tell his people. This phrase is in over 144 verses in the Bible. It says, the word of the Lord came. It comes to us, right? We have the Bible, but they didn't always have the Bible. A lot of them didn't have the word of God. So the word of the Lord came to them through his Holy Spirit. In Hebrews 4.12 it says, The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and tents of our hearts. The word of God is alive. God breathes into it. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? God breathes his words into people, into his word. Second Timothy 3.16 the Bible summarizes this by saying, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. If you said all this to a person you're witnessing to, they would probably still say that the Bible was written by men until God opens their eyes. It's up to God to open their eyes. Why would they change their opinion just because of the words we say? To a non-believer, they're just words. Their eyes are blinded by the enemy. Remember last time I taught it was on spiritual warfare and the enemy blinds the world. In Acts twenty six eighteen, Jesus tells Paul, Now I send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Amen. Open their eyes. It's time to open their eyes. All of us lose our loved ones sooner or later, and it's never easy. My mom and dad have passed into eternity, and I remember talking with both of them about the Lord before they passed away. My dad was an ex-Catholic. He rejected the teachings of the Bible most of the time. I would talk to him as much as I could while, we, while he could still understand. I remember telling him all the different scriptures. All through the Bible you read, they went here and there, and they preached the gospel. Does everybody know what the gospel is? 1 Corinthians fifteen one through 4 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word that I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. He died, was buried, and he rose again. If he didn't rise, we would be lost, wouldn't we? Aren't we glad he rose from the dead? When I told him uh, about the different prophecies in the Bible, he seemed to get a little more interested. He joked around a lot. He would say, Pat, you should be a preacher. <laughs> Only the Lord knows where he is today. My mom was a Catholic, too. She loved going to church and watching those Jesus movies on TV. She was a lot easier to talk to about the Bible. I remember when she was passing away, too. A day or so before she passed away, I remember sitting by her bed and telling her, Mom, there is no purgatory. And you need to make sure that you put your faith in Jesus only, not Jesus plus anything. John fourteen six says, He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. She said, you're just one of those born-again Christians. Just a side note. Even my computer knows how important it is to be born again. It gave me a spelling error when I didn't capitalize it. Then I said, in John chapter 3, the Bible says, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. He said, she said, that's not in my Bible. So I grabbed her 40-pound Catholic Bible, and I opened it up, and I read her John 3, 1 through 21. This will take a minute, but it's worth hearing. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, signs, unless you, God, are with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, 
How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not know these things? Most assuredly I say to you, We speak what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as he lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practice evil, hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen and they have been done in God. My mom, she said, that's in my Bible? (laughs) She passed away and I believe she's with the Lord today. You know, Pastor Bill makes sure that everyone or nobody here can say, that's my Bible. We're really blessed here. I have noticed when I'm witnessing that I tell them about that a third of the Bible is prophecy, and it's written before it even happens. And a lot of the news today and the world events, you're actually seeing the Bible and the writing that's in it. It usually gets tension. <clears throat> it gets usually gets their attention, and it got mine also. So, what is Bible prophecy? Prophecies are the foretelling or predictions of what is to come, something that is declared by a prophet especially a divinely inspired prediction, prediction, instruction, or exhortation. I was probably a teenager when I started drifting away from the church. I still believed in God, but I was not very interested, interesting to me anymore. In school, we were taught that we came from monkeys and the world was millions of years old. Scientists were supposedly disproving the Bible with carbon-14 dating and evolution. It was confusing trying to figure out what to believe. Later, when I was a young mechanic, a truck driver that worked where I worked would come into the shop and have me work on his truck. And while he worked, I think he came in, he wasn't even broken sometimes, he just wanted to preach. But while he was working, he would talk to me about God all the time and pass out those chick tracks. Remember those little chick tracks everybody used to have? The Bible wasn't boring when he talked to me about it. He used to tell me about Bible prophecy and how we're living in the last days and Jesus is coming back soon. That kind of got my attention because when I was Catholic church, I would always hear them say over and over again, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. But I never learned the rest of the story. Later, when I started going to Calvary Chapel of El Cajon, because it was right around the corner from our house, at that time they were teaching about prophecy, and I remember them talking about Second Peter 1, 16 through 21 says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor, glory, when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven. When we were all with him on the holy mountain, and so we had the prophetic word confirmed, firmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place 
until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but as men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Remember, God breathes into them the word. So Peter says, we're not following fables. We were eyewitnesses. We saw it happen. We heard God's voice. We had the prophetic word confirmed, the more sure word of prophecy. And remember, God's breathing this word into him. You imagine seeing all the things that Peter and the apostles saw. Every time they went somewhere, they'd heal a guy with leprosy. The bones would straighten out. People that could never stand were standing. It's amazing, huh? Some people have a hard time trying to understand how God can see the beginning and the end at the same time. Remember, God is outside of time, and we are not. That's what prophecy is. He can see the beginning from the end. He, I heard a pastor talking about this one time, and he showed an aerial view of a big parade on television taken from the Goodyear blimp high above the parade. You guys ever seen those where the blimp's up there and they, they show the whole lineup of the parade? So from that view, you can see the beginning of the parade as it passes by the judges. You know, the judges sit, and that's kind of where the beginning, they all line up in order, right? So from the judges' grandstands, as you look down along the floats, you can see all of the parade to the very end, all at one time. So if you ever get a picture, I don't know, I didn't get a picture of it. I, I saw one before. It's really interesting. As you look down the, the lineup, you can just see every little float. Everybody has a number and an order. And that's how God looks at the world today. He sees when, when Genesis was happening, he saw the book of Revelation. It's all in his vision at one time. Isn't that amazing? That's just hard to even fathom. But that's how God sees it. And this helped me to understand prophecy in the Bible. God sees and understands everything from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. He who <clears throat> he knows who will receive him as their Lord and Savior and who will not. You know, a lot of times you, we argue about predestination. To us, it's hard to understand. But to God who sees all things, he saw it before it happened, right? So it's not new to him. God is omniscient, which means he knows everything, which can only be said about him. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. That's hard to understand. Some people are afraid to read and study prophecy because it's too scary. The book of Revelation is prophecy. And look what it says as you start to read it. You shouldn't be scared to do these things. A lot of people don't like reading some of the prophetic books. Revelation 1, 1 through 3 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, what God gave him to show his servants, things that must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the word of his prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Blessed is he who reads, hears, and keeps the things that are written. You're going to be happy. You're going to be blessed. There's a blessing if you read those books. So don't be afraid to get into them. Start reading your books or get them on tape and listen. The teaching of the rapture is another valuable tool for your toolbox. You know, everybody today, you know, the world's falling apart. They don't know where to look. But you can be at peace and you can know the answers that they need to know. There's a lot of people who have read the Left Behind books or seen the movie. And it's a great way to talk to people you know about being ready so they won't be left behind. A lot of times the non-believers that walk into my shop, have you ever seen that movie Left Behind? He goes, yeah, I think I have. Are you going to be left behind? You always ask them, you know, do they know they're saved? And it's our job to make sure they know. And the rapture says... 1 Thessalonians 4:13 through 18 if you guys don't know the rapture is God taking his church out before the wrath of God before the tribulation will be taken out 1 Thessalonians 4:13 says but i do not want you to be ignorant brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep lest you sorrow as others who have no hope for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus for this we say to you by the word of the lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of our Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead will, and Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, unless we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. He wants to have us to have hope and comfort, not be afraid, right? That's a good thing to be taken out of here before the tribulation hits. So don't be afraid of it. You need to get understanding. I'm going to try and go through a, a timeline of the Bible by using different prophecies. Some have been fulfilled and some will be fulfilled in the future. A lot of times when I talk to people at work, you know, I, I tell them things and, and I'll go through a few of these. And if just regular saying they're sinners and they need to be saved by grace doesn't get their attention, I usually bring in the prophecies because they, they start going, wow, maybe you're right. Maybe this is happening. I'm going to go through this timeline. And I was, I was reading in the book, I was reading in a book, it's an old book, of World War I. And in the book, there was a pastor that people were asking at this time of World War I. They were saying, is this the last battle of the Bible? Is this the battle of Armageddon? And he knew the scriptures, and he told them that Israel wasn't in their homeland for the second time. So this could not be the end. So this is way back in the 1900s, early 1900s. And during World War I, they were all afraid. They thought, here, the end is here. But he, knowing the scriptures and understanding the times, was able to tell them. Do you guys know where we are in time? It would take a long time to go through all the prophecies where we are. I'm just going to give a couple, but we need to know where we are in time. In Daniel 9, 1 and 2, it says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Now, Daniel, by knowing scriptures, he understood the times too. It says he was reading the book of Jeremiah while in captivity. Can you imagine that? Here's Daniel, who's one of the biggest figures in the Bible. He's reading the book of Jeremiah, and he's learning. And he finds out that because they had disobeyed God, they were going to be in captivity for seven years in Babylon. So he knew it. And he basically, he was told, sit still and don't fight it because they would be in captivity seven years. He could have fought it and, and went away from it, but God said, you're going to be there 70 years. Don't fight it. Just, just live your life. Enjoy it. And uh, don't fight it. This is part of your punishment. So Daniel was also used by God, and he was able to reveal and interpret the king's dreams. You guys ever seen the, the statue or read through Daniel and the statue and the different visions that he gives? Now, it was given then, but Daniel, Daniel was told when he got done writing, it says, put it away, seal it up. It's for the time of the end. It's not for you. So just write it down for the people of the end times. So in Daniel 2.30 through 41, we're going to go through that, the statue of Nebuchadnezzar's. Daniel was also used by God when he was able to reveal and interpret the, king, <coughs> the king's dreams. In Daniel 2.30 through 41, it says, But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who made known the interpretation of the king, that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. So Daniel's showing him what his dream was. The king doesn't know what it is, but Daniel was told by God. Verse 32, he says, "The The image's head was of fine gold, and his chest and arms of silver. Its belly and thighs were made of bronze and its legs of iron. Its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while the stones were cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, clay, and bronze, and silver, and the gold that were crushed together became like chaff in the summer threshing floor. The winds carried them away, and there was no trace to them to be found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. Notice how he says we. 
him and God, right? He's not doing anything. He's just a servant of God. You, O king, are the king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you this kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and made you ruler over all of them. You are the head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth. And then the fourth kingdom, it shall be as strong as iron. And as much as iron breaks into pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break into pieces and crush all others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet strength of the iron shall be in it. Just as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay. So he goes through the different kingdoms of the world. These are the rulers. If you go in your history book in school, which they don't teach history anymore, by the way. But if you go in your history books, you can look and see through the generations who ruled the world. So it says the golden head is the Babylonian kingdom ruled by Nebuchadnezzar. The breast and arms of silver, they symbolized the divided Medo-Persian empire with Darius. The stomach and the thighs of brass symbolized the Grecian empire with Alexander the Great. Legs of iron symbolized the Roman empire. And the feet and toes of iron and clay, they symbolize the ten nations of the European communities, possibly today. This is amazing, and only God could do this. This was written a long time before it happened. Remember the example of the parade. As you're looking down at the parade, he's looking at the parade, he's looking at history, and he's giving you kind of a thousand-year, a couple thousand-year thing here. This is amazing. Only God could do this. God sees the beginning from the end. And for me, these type of examples, they show how amazing our Bible is. You know, when people think it's just, just a, made up by man, our Bible has some amazing prophecies in it that have been fulfilled and that will be fulfilled later. It's not just another book. Remember, the Bible is different because it's the inspired word of God. Matthew twenty-five thirteen says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour that the Son of Man is coming. So are we watching? Are we ready? Have we warned our friends and families? Are we witnessing like it could be our last chance? What if this was our last day? Have you told everybody that you want to tell? Have you told your kids? Have you told your spouses? Have you told all your family members? They usually kind of scoff at the rapture, but it's happening soon, so we need to be ready. Isaiah 11.11 says, It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left. From Assyria to Egypt, from Patros to Cush, from Elam to Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. We know that Daniel was taken from his homeland and he stayed there for 70 years. And then he went back to his homeland when he was released. On May 14, 1948, Israel was made a nation again. You guys all know that? 1948, the Jews weren't there before then. It was desolate for 2,000 years. I believe this is the, one of the most important witnessing tools that we have today. It's, it kind of starts the prophetic clock, the little sand dial is just turning over, 1948. How much time do we have left? Nobody knows, right? But we need to be ready. Whenever I talk to people about Israel returning to their homeland, People always seem to listen. You know, they can't really argue. There's no way they can argue or tell you that it didn't happen. I mean, they can go and see it personally. You can go to Israel today and see it. Or you can watch it on TV and see what's going on over there. They're usually getting bombed. But it's there today. It wasn't there for 2,000 years. In Joel 3, 1 and 2, it says, For behold, in those days and at that time, I will bring back the captivities of Judah and Jerusalem, And I will also gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I will enter into judgment with them there on the account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up in my land. Isaiah 66, 8 says, Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be given one day, birthed in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, 
she gave birth to her children. So Israel in one day, the day before, wasn't a land, right? And then all of a sudden, it was a land. Our president was at Truman, signed it. It became Israeli territory. In Matthew twenty-four thirty-two through 34, it says, Now learn the parable of the fig tree. When his branches are ready, becoming tender, and it puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the door. Now you guys have probably read Matthew 24. There's a lot of things in it we don't have time to get into that are happening today. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Now this is one of the hardest verses in the Gospels to interpret. This verse can be taken a few different ways, and I probably should pass over it, but I won't. Because fools rush in, or angels, angels fear to tread. So here I go. There's three different theories on this. Some take a generation that means race, and thus as an assurance that the Jewish race or nation will not pass away. So that could be one. Generation might also mean this type of generation, and it refers to the generation of wicked humanity, when the point is that humanity will not perish because God will redeem it. And the third one, a generation may refer to the generation that sees the signs of the end, who will also see the end itself. In other words, once the movement of the return of Christ starts, all the events connected with it happen very quickly and in succession. Some teach that the fig tree is Israel, and the generation that sees Israel in their land a second time will see the return of Jesus. In Psalm 90.10 it says, The days of our likes are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it soon will be cut off and we will fly away. We can't be sure, but if it's been 75 years since Israel became a nation, we could be getting pretty close, right? If the generation that, that saw the return of Israel will see the return of Jesus, it could be getting close. But whenever it happens, we're ready, right? I'm not setting any dates, just for the record, okay? We need to be ready, I'm not setting any dates. Like I said before, are we watching? Are we ready? Have we warned our friends and families? Are we witnessing like it could be our last chance? Remember the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25. Five were ready and five were not ready. If I asked all you guys, are you all ready? You know you're going to be going to heaven? We need to get ready. Daniel 12.4 says, But you, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So here's another prophecy about the end times that Daniel does. There's a lot of them. I don't have time to go through them all, but I like this one. I was reading a book written in 1878 about this, and it said, I think about this, people running to and fro, traveling, right, and knowledge increasing. In the book it said, there's a marvelous increase in both travel and knowledge. It says, we now have steam engines and railways with printing presses too. I mean, think about that. This was progress for him. Look at what we see today. Artificial intelligence, you have computers, we have so many things. It's amazing our, our knowledge doubles all the time. So he thought he was in the last days because of knowledge increasing. And look what we have. It's amazing. And transportation. Pretty soon when some of you guys are going to go to Israel, you're going to fly, what, 30 hours to Israel. Isn't that amazing? That would take a lifetime to get there before. So, world travel. Oh, wait. Where am I? <laughs> Marvelously increase in both travel and knowledge. Can you imagine today? World travel, world knowledge, and most importantly, Bible knowledge increasing. In context, like Pastor Bill was saying, in context, this is about Bible knowledge, not just worldly knowledge. So, do you see Bible knowledge increasing? You see people talking about things they never knew before. Hey, the Ezekiel 38 war. You see it on TV. Russia's gathering with Iran, Iraq, and all these guys. There's lots of things that are coming up that they're starting to take notice of. In, in 1878, they were also seeing the beginning of nihilism, socialism, communism, and anarchy. 
They wanted to do away with God and law. Isn't that amazing? Back then, they wanted to do away with God. They wanted to destroy the present social structure, kind of like they're doing now, right? Look at it today. It's interesting to compare older books with today's books. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, it says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having a form of godliness, but denying its power. It says, have nothing to do with these type of people. Another verse you guys have probably heard in Ezekiel 37, the dry bones. Remember, Israel wasn't a nation, right? The Bible predicted that Israel, after thousands of years, would come back to their land. So this is another verse that shows the revival of the Jewish people. Ezekiel 37, 1 through 6 says, And the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. And he sat me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus Thus says the Lord God to these dry bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into them. And you shall live. And I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you. Cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So that's another one we're seeing today. You see the Israel coming together. I don't think God's spirit's fully in them yet. They're not believers yet. But they're in the land. They're seeking to build their temple. right? Have you guys ever been on the Temple Institute? The temple is... Everything is ready to be built. All they got to do is build it. So we're getting into those times, you know, in the tribulation period, which isn't in my notes. In the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, there's a temple, right? That's how close we are. They're getting ready to build their temple. Be ready for the rapture. And the next one was the rapture, but I already read the rapture. So you all, all know that we're going to be snatched away, right? If you're a believer, we're going to be snatched away in a twinkling of an eye. Sound of the trumpet. I can't wait. Then in 1 Timothy 4.1, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. That's one of the great apostasy. Another verse of the great apostasy says, 2 Thessalonians 2.3, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Falling away from the faith. Man of sin. Who would that be? The Antichrist? We shouldn't see him. We should be gone first. Then it talks about faithless times. In Luke 18.8 it says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Think about that. Think about that statement. All the people that know God in this world, when Jesus comes back, will even find faith. Of course, when he comes back, we'll be with him, right? The church will be already taken. So the only ones that will probably have faith are the ones that the 144,000 witnesses and the two other witnesses brought to Christ. Call to repentance, Zephaniah 2, 1, 2. It says, gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation, before the decree is issued or the day passes like chaff. Before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you. Before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. So that's a call to repentance. Antichrist makes peace treaty with Israel. One week. Seven years. Now I didn't go into the, remember the 70 weeks of Daniel. I didn't have time to go through that. But you guys all know the 70 weeks of Daniel. 77 year periods. 490 years. Daniel says, and he tells you what's going to happen in those years. If you don't know that, it's a good one to study. So it says, Daniel 9.27, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, one seven-year period. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, 
and on the wing abominations shall be one that makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So again, I don't have time to get into all this, but during the tribulation, after the peace treaty the Antichrist makes, there's going to be a seven-year tribulation. It says there'll be a temple built. And in the middle of the tribulation, it says the Antichrist will stand in the temple and say, I'm God, worship me, right? So we need to study that. We'd, we won't be here, but you need to study that because you could tell others. You could say, look on the Temple Institute online. They're building their temple. Everything's in a warehouse ready to be built. All they got to do is get permission to start laying the stones. They figure it'll take six months to build a temple. So it's important. We're living in those last days. And then another one talks about the terrible persecution that will follow. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob is Israel, right? Okay. It's Jeremiah 30, 5 through 7. For thus says the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. And now, in, <clears throat> ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with a child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins, like a woman in labor? And all the faces turn pale. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it's the time of Jacob's trouble. So he shall be saved out of it, right? So the terrible persecution is coming upon a world, but we won't be here if we're believers. So make sure you're a believer. Okay, this is Zechariah 14, 1 through 3. It says, when it seems like all is lost for Israel, the Lord fights for them. Zechariah 14, 1-3 says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations in battle against Jerusalem, the city that shall be taken down. Excuse me. Houses rifled and women ravished. Half of the city will go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. So it seems like all is lost for Israel. The Lord fights for Israel. You know, as it's not my notes, but in Ezekiel 38, when, when the battle that's going on with Israel, I believe it's coming soon. As you see Russia getting together with Iran, Iraq, and Turkey, and all those guys, it says in the Bible that they'll come down against Israel from the north, and they'll pretty much clean house on the, on the Jews, except the Lord will save them. The Lord will fight for them, right? So... The Lord always fights for Israel. Israel will never be gone away. They'll never be wiped out, right? God always has a remnant, right? But these are things that are going to happen. And they mourn at at the end of it. It says in Zechariah 12, 9 through 14, they'll mourn for the pierced one. And it shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me who they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieves for him as he grieves for his firstborn. In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning of Hamad Raman in the plain of Megiddo and the land shall mourn. Every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself and their wives by themselves. The family of Shimei by itself, and their wives by themselves. All the families that remain, every family by itself, and the wives themselves. So everyone is going to mourn. They're going to see Jesus. It says the whole world will see Jesus. They'll, they'll say, oh no, he is the Messiah. They're going to have their eyes open. They're going to mourn. The end of the age in Matthew twenty four fourteen. And this is the gospel of the kingdom that will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So it's up to us. We need to preach the gospel. We need to get the word out to everybody so the end will come. We need to bring in the end, right? We've got to make sure we're witnessing. And like I said, I was, I was kind of pondering what to talk about, and, and I just lately that's all I seem to be doing is witnessing. Leslie's been witnessing a lot, passing out tracts, and it just seems to be on our heart lately that we need to share the gospel, that the time is running short. And uh, let's see, how much time does Kim need? Let's see. I guess I could read this. I'm a, there's just a little handout from Ray Comfort about witnessing. So I'm going to read Billy Graham and Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort says, 
Are you fearful to approach strangers and show the gospel? Most of us are. But the Bible says in John, 1 John 4.18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. It's always good to greet them with a smile introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Pat. Nice to meet you. What's your name? You've got you to get used to witnessing. The more you do it, the easier it gets. One question that leads into a conversation is, do you think there's an afterlife? When, when you talk religion, they kind of shy away, right? When you go, have you read your Bible? Ah, they run. They don't want to talk about it. But almost everybody, you say, do you believe there's an afterlife? Do you believe your, your soul will go on living? They usually will talk to you. And then, if, hopefully, by the power of the Spirit, you can lead them to the truth. So that's a good question. Do you believe in an afterlife? And you haven't even mentioned the things of God yet. You just asked their opinion. So they really can't get too upset. You're just asking their opinion on it. Most of them say, no, I believe in evolution. <laughs> it's kind of funny if you watch those ones on YouTube with great comfort. You know, Everybody says, I believe in evolution. And he says, oh, so you believe that everything was made by nothing? And then they go, hmm, maybe not. You know, so you, you kinda, the more you know the word of God, the easier it is to witness to people, right? There shouldn't be any atheists in this world. I mean, if you see a painting, you know there's a painter, right? If you see a building, you know there was a builder, right? If you see creation, there's got to be a creator, right? So you just share with them. Just, but try and bring them one step closer. Every time you plant seeds or you're watering, it's just to bring them closer to the Lord. So, and then they might say, are you a good person? Well, I don't know what I did with it. There's a little pamphlet in the back, the good person test. It's probably here somewhere. Um, you can go through the good person test, you know. As you go through the Ten Commandments, and it only takes a few of them. You ever lied to your soul and you ever committed adultery or thought in your heart? So as you get them to the point where they, they know they've broken the law, it says their conscience bears witness, right? The Bible says in, uh, in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? So... As you bring them to the point of repentance, it says the law is a schoolmaster to bring them to Christ, right? So if you go through the law, just like Jesus did with the, remember the rich young ruler, he went up to him, he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? So he says, well, you know the commandments. So he went through them. And he says, I've done all these since my youth, right? So he goes through the commandments to bring the conviction that comes from the law, right? The law brings conviction. And the Holy Spirit can touch him and change him. So that's, that's kind of how he goes through the law to bring them to a point that they know they're a sinner. You know, when they go, like he has a story where he's in, a, in an airplane and the plane's going to crash. And he says, here, put on your parachute. The people aren't going to argue with you. The plane's going down. You know you need a parachute. The fear of jumping you know, will let you put that parachute on. That parachute is Jesus, right? When we go into the next world... You need to put on Jesus. You need to put on your parachute because there's a fee that you have to pay that you can't pay, right? Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, right? So just like you, you probably read the speedster thing in the, one of those tracks where it says when, when they knew the law, like say you go out and you get 15, 20 speeding tickets and you go to court, justice has to be paid. So you don't have the money, but say your dad comes up, I'll pay for you, son. So he pays the fine. Justice has been paid. And that's what Jesus does. He pays the fine for us, right? He paid the price on the cross. As long as we let him, as long as we receive him by faith, he'll pay the price for us. So it's important. You know, when we talk about all the things in the Bible, that's the whole idea is to let him pay for something we can't pay, right? It's a debt we can't pay. And then I'm... Do I have time, Kim? Or you, one more thing. This is Billy Graham. And he, he just gives a different thing on how to witness. But it's just a short thing, so I'll read it. The Christian is a witness for Christ. Hmm. You're not witnessing. You are a witness, right? People watch your life. People watch what you do. If you're really a Christian, there should be a difference. They should be able to see that there's something different in you. Now, how do you witness? You wish, witness by the way you live. The smile, the courtesy, the thoughtfulness, the graciousness. And if, if you live a changed life in which Christ is living in you and radiating, radiating out through you, other people will be attracted to you. And they'll say, what's your secret? And you say, I know Jesus Christ. Witness in the home, witness at your daily work. 
We're not to be slothful in business, but servants in spirit, serving the Lord. We are also to witness by the way we perform our work. We are to work faithfully. If you're a worker in a factory, you're to do it faithfully as under the Lord. You don't work just as for your employer. You don't just work for the union you make to make them happy. You work for the Lord, right? If you're an employee, you work for Christ. He's the one you are responsible to as a Christian. The Bible says that we are pilgrims here. We're ambassadors for Christ. The Bible says we're also peculiar people set apart for Christ, and we are to be shining witnesses in a perverse and wicked generation. All around us, we see lying, hypocrisy, dishonesty, lust. We can see worldliness on every side. Man taken up to materialism. Oh, oh, give your life to Jesus. Oh, let him live in you and be the shining witness for Christ. Become salt in your community. Become light in your community. Let the people know where you stand for Christ. Live a clean and honest and pure and wholesome life. I want to ask you tonight, are you a Christian? Are you living that kind of life? Oh, I'm not asking you, do you have Christian influences? I'm not asking you if you're a member of a Christian church. I'm asking you tonight, have you had that encounter with Christ? Has this change taken place in your life? Have you accepted the challenges of following Christ? Are you living a faithful life under him? If not, you can start tonight, right now. Right now. You can say, Lord, I give you my life. So it's important. If you haven't made that stand, can you just picture Billy Graham saying that? I was going to try and do it like him, but nobody talks like Billy Graham, you know. So anyway, we need to be about the Father's business. We need to be witnessing. We need to know the Word of God, right? So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that we have the keys to heaven, that we can tell people how to have eternal life. Lord, give us boldness. Give us a good memory to remember your word. Help us to be in your word daily, that we would be about your business. The time is short. It could be today. It could be the last day today. The rapture could happen. Help us to be ready. Help us to teach others about you, and help us to have a burden for the lost. And we just thank you for this time. In Jesus' name. Amen.